0: Well, we're going to come this morning to look at a man who was born in the country of Switzerland, as we call it, Pierre Beret, 1511 to 1571. Now, just a few words before we actually begin on the notes. Did you know that you are all theologians? Every Christian is a theologian, every believer believes something and so it's important that we understand that and also that we don't put a cleavage between theology and history. The two go together as the right and left arms or hands of our Christian understanding. We may meet people who say well I'm not interested in history, well pray for them or they're not interested in theology just uh, pray for them too because the two go together and uh, I want to uh, particularly thank Bernie who's been a a great help in uh, the preparation for this morning he obtained a book for me from overseas on Thierry which I wasn't aware existed so I'm grateful for him my French is... uh, schoolboy French. So in the main I will anglicise the words that we come to hopefully that we'll understand them. But if you can keep in your mind the importance of history and theology together we've been looking at the Puritans of the 17th century period in England but we're going back a century to the 16th century and the Reformation why do that? Well, everything that the Puritans sought to emphasise stemmed from what they understood by the Reformation. We could go back further in particular to Augustine because he was the one who came to understand what grace in God is all about. But the Reformation, uh, that's the historical setting for Verrey and his friends. So it's the movement which we call the Protestant Reformation which commenced in many ways in 1517. It began in Germany with Martin Luther who was born in 1483 and died in 1546. Now you'll remember the story of Luther that uh, the, the trouble he went through in trying to come to peace with God He was lecturing on the Psalms and Romans and he came to understand that the just or the righteous will live by faith as Paul declares in Romans. And the first few chapters of Romans are vital in understanding justification. Uh, Luther did what was a very normal thing in those days. If you wanted to have people come to join in the discussion, you would post a notice on the castle door. So that's what Luther did. His 95 theses were posted on the castle door in Wittenberg and uh, he just wanted to have an academic discussion with those who were interested. But typical of university students in a university town, they got hold of these theses and they translated them from Latin into German. And of course that really set things going. They began to spread because everyone could understand German even if they couldn't appreciate Latin. And they developed along with that Gutenberg's printing press which meant that they could publicise... Luther's uh, 95 theses far and wide and so that's what God used in order to spread much of the teaching of the Reformation 8 years after John Calvin who was 1509 to 1564 was born in Noyon, France and then 6 years after Verre was born in Switzerland so these guys never met as far as we know they didn't have telephones in those days uh, and they never met and talked which was a great pity in some ways but then in other ways it allowed the reformation to go in a variety of ways but what what's the importance of the reformation for us this is ancient history isn't it well the reformation affected social political an economic life, not just religion, in very significant ways. You can't understand the development of Western Europe without coming to grips with the Reformation, even if you don't believe in the Christian faith. Before the Reformation, Europe was controlled by the universalism of the Pope and the Catholic Church in addition there was the influence of humanism which was the most significant intellectual movement of the Renaissance or if you come from the BBC it was the Renaissance. The word Renaissance means rebirth. This was a revival of classical learning. It involved culture, art, Politics, literature, and philosophy, not much left. And this spread throughout Europe and influenced people greatly. Veret was a man of uh, great mildness and persistence, and he was called the angel of the Reformation. He was a prolific writer, noted teacher popular preacher and a gifted evangelist but was one of the lesser known figures of the Protestant Reformation. When I studied church history and when I lectured in church history, Varey didn't get a Guernsey. I'd never heard of him, never knew that there was such a man, an important man in the history of the Christian church. He was, however, one of the important leaders in France and Switzerland in company with John Calvin, William Farrell, and Theodore Bizet. Veret was one of Calvin's closest friends and a most trusted associate. And through his teaching, preaching, and writing, he influenced the thinking of several generations of Calvinists. Now there were other Swiss reformers who were omitted in this paper this morning. Ulrich Zwingli, Johann Ophelampadius and Thomas Wittenbach. I, they don't get a Guernsey, but they were very important in the whole thing as well. I thought again you might be interested in the composers who were born in this period of the Reformation. Monteverdi, Thomas Tallis and Gabrielli. Their music is still played very much today. I've mentioned Professor John Murray. John Murray was born in the very north regions of Scotland in 1898. He served in the First World War with the Black Watch Guards and lost an eye. But that didn't stop him. He went to, uh, to uh, university in Glasgow and studied. He'd been brought up a Christian. He went from there to the Princeton University and college in the United States. And then a little bit later on, he was invited to join the staff of the new Princeton, uh, no, rather the, uh, the other theological Seminary, Uh, Westminster the New Seminary which began because of the modernism which had wrecked Princeton and some would say of course it still does today. Murray was a wonderful theologian and you can still obtain many of his books particularly his ones on the cross But this is what he wrote about the Reformation. The Reformation was the discovery or the rediscovery of the revealed counsel of God on the most vital issues of the Christian faith. It might be summed up in the rediscovery of salvation by grace. But the Reformation was the reassertion of the whole counsel of God to the refutation of error and the display of truth. Sola gratia and sola scriptura, which fundamental principles? What on earth are they? Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola scriptura, the scriptures alone. And we can't, as believers, do without either of them because they are the very tenant of our Christian faith. By one line of logical connection to another, all Reformation doctrine and practice are dependent on and traceable to these two principles. So in our understanding of history and theology, which we can't really separate, we must go back to sola gratia and sola scriptura. These principles need to be propagated with renewed zeal and zest. Murray wrote that in volume one of his four volume, Collected Writings. One of the uh, best known writers on the Reformation was Principal T.M. Lindsay of England and he wrote this, he reminded his readers that the Reformation in Germany has normally attracted much more attention than the Swiss Reformation. He comments on its latter consequences rather than its beginnings. And he wrote, As time went on, it was seen that the principles of the Swiss reformers, both in doctrine and in church organisation, could be readily transplanted to other lands, and accordingly the churches of France Scotland, Hungary and a great part of Germany inherited the traditions of Zwingli and Calvin rather than those of Luther and Melanchthon. Now what he's getting at is that a reformation arising in the midst of the free democratic Swiss life was more likely to be able to be understood in the democracy of New Testament Christianity than that which had at its beginnings in universities and the courts of German princes. So we could say that in God's overruling providence he didn't just restrict the movement of the Reformation to the universities in German but it came to Switzerland and of course to France. So let's look at Varey a bit more closely. He was born in the Swiss village of Orba in the Pays de Vaud, one of the 26 cantons, or we might refer to it as states, forming the Swiss Confederation. And the capital city is Lausanne. Varey's early education was under a schoolmaster named Marc Romain, a humanist scholar who was trained at the universities of Paris and Strasbourg. The result <coughs> was that Veret was introduced to French, Latin, Greek, Hebrew and the Classics. That's some education. In 1527 Veret left for Paris to study for the priesthood at the college Montague where Desiderius Erasmus and John Calvin had studied previously. Now, Erasmus uh, had been working along with Luther to a certain extent, and he was the guy who translated the New Testament from Latin to Greek, which was a tremendous uh, opportunity to understand what was happening. But he moved away from Reformation faith. He didn't become a believer like the others did. He became immersed in his intellectual pursuits. John Calvin, of course, was really the systematician of the Reformation. Most of Varey's activities during his three years at the university are unknown, but he would have studied theology and the classics. The college curriculum was geared to continue medieval knowledge and traditions, But Reformation ideas flourished. They had to. It was so much of it around, they couldn't ignore it. Varane not only studied humanism, but also Reformation doctrines. University communities are usually hotbeds for new and radical ideas. And Renaissance and Reformation ideas were prevalent at the University of Paris. He returned to Orba in 1530 with significant knowledge of Latin, Greek, Hebrew and classical literature, plus an introduction to theology, philosophy, rhetoric and writings of the church fathers. One might say that's a very sufficient education, certainly in today's understanding. He also returned to Orba with increased learning and a growing library plus a newfound faith as he had embraced the Reformation. Varey, the only French-speaking reformer from French-speaking Switzerland, was soon involved in the advance of the Reformation in French-speaking Switzerland. In 1531, Guillaume Farrell came to Orbe to preach the Protestant Reformation. He met Pierre Varey and preached in his hometown on the 6th of May 1531. Varey was only aged 20. But by 1537, Varey was leader of the reform movement in nearby Lausanne, chief pastor of the main church, from 1537 to 1559 and professor of New Testament at the New Lisanne Academy, plus teaching Old Testament, theology and acting as the school's principal. I'm not sure what he did with his spare time. In 1546 he relinquished his professorship in the academy for full time pastoral ministry. Gradually the villages were reformed until the whole of Orba was reformed by 30th of July 1554. There were two convents, two convents. They were changed into a house and a college. And very significantly for some people, Nestlé opened a factory in the year 1900. Varey worked to build the school's reputation, attract intelligent young men to attend and study, helped recruit faculty and lead curriculum planning. But in 1559, he incurred the wrath of political overlords and was forced to run. He was followed into exile by the majority of the faculty and most of the students. From 1559 to 61, he assisted Calvin in Reformation work while living in Geneva. His essential task was in leading one of the main city churches, but his interest in education linked him in assisting to commence the Academy of Geneva. He and Calvin worked together, recruiting faculty and planning the curriculum. Now at this stage I want to introduce you to a late friend of mine. Um, many years ago I came across Dr. Robert Linder or Bob Linder. He was professor one of the professors of history at Kansas State University. I should have brought the, the, the baseball cap that he gave me from the Kansas City Colts, but uh, he always wore this this cap because his hair was in such a mess. Um, he worked for some years in Australia with Stuart Piggin in Sydney the, the Australian historian and uh, it's only a couple of years ago that their two volumes on Ast- early Australian history were produced and I haven't got the name of them with me but um, they have turned upside down a lot of the understanding of the beginnings of the first fleet in Sydney in 1770 and uh, a lot of the issues that went on regarding the history of early Australia. Bob Lender uh, died last year on Easter Sunday. But he did his PhD on Pierre Verre. And I remember he told me that and I thought, well, so what? Who's Pierre Veret? I had no understanding whatsoever because as I said before this man is left out of our history curriculum in theological or Bible college education. But Bob wrote the Genevans loved Veray. They immediately elected him a minister of the Geneva Church now this is good and assigned him a salary of 800 florins plus 12 strikes of corn and two casks of wine a year. The council also provided him a commodious house, which Calvin noted was bigger and better furnished than his own. Well, that's a quote. Verreau devoted the last ten years of his life, from 1561, to evangelism and pastoral ministry in France. This included taking an active part in establishing and maintaining educational institutions, teaching at the Academy of Nimes from 1561 to 62. That year, 1562, he won most of the faculty in the medical college at Montpellier to the Reform side. During 1562-65 he was involved in an extensive evangelistic and pastoral ministry at Lyon while also directing a planned program of instruction in Reformation doctrine at local churches. Now why do I keep mentioning dates? Because you can't understand what was happening unless you go back to look at the dates. Dates we all remember the date of our birth even though we can't remember the exact birth we remember certain dates in our lives the births of our children etc and so we go on and it's, it's important in understanding the reformation and what was happening that these dates are before us and we appreciate what God was doing things don't happen in a vacuum Linking Veret with Calvin and Bizet, we can say that they all enjoyed poetry and music and to an extent were poets themselves. Calvin and Varey were not as talented in poetry as Bizet, but they did produce excellent prose. Well, Calvin produced the Institutes and I've mentioned before there's now a new French, French translation uh, or English translation from the, the French and I'm sure you have all thinking of getting a copy for Christmas and also Verreau's Institution Christian also the three reformers placed great emphasis on quality education for all three were involved in the establishment of academies for the training Academies, rather, for the training of reform ministers and teaching. So they were very, very involved in education, which we pushed to one side at our peril. Uh, it's, it's amazing how education has changed over the years of my life. There is, doesn't seem to be anywhere near, in, in some areas at least, anywhere near the strictness and the, and the certainty and the concern for proper education that there was. Robert, Dr Robert Godfrey, who is involved in the Ligonier Ministry in the United States, is President Emeritus and Professor Emeritus of Church History at Westminster Seminary in California. There are two Westminster Seminaries at least, one in California and one in Philadelphia. He has referred to Calvin's commentary on Titus in which he includes John Calvin dedication to Guillaume Farrell and Pierre Varey. He wrote, We have good reason to glory before God and have the clearest evidence to show to men that our alliance and friendship have been entirely consecrated to Christ's name. Have hitherto been profitable to his church and have no other name than all, than all men should be at one with us in him. So he was, he regarded Verret as, as a top notch. But life was never smooth for any of the reformers. And one instance was Calvin's complaint to Veray in 1547 about strong opposition that he faced in Geneva and it's Robert Godfrey who quotes Calvin's letter to Buret, their wickedness has however reached such a pitch that I hardly hope to be able any longer to retain any kind of position for the church, especially under my ministry my influence is gone, believe me Unless God stretch forth his hand it would be good if we could stop there and have a discussion about what do you think of that sentence Uh, what what does it say what really is the truth that comes out we look at church problems there are always church problems Uh, there are people problems that's what you'd say it's a human being, if you could take all the human beings out of the way we'd have a perfect church Except that we wouldn't, <laughs> because we are the church. But unless our focus is continually coming to Christ and what He's about, it's so easy to get sidetracked onto other issues which will always be around us. Well, we continue. Varay was expelled from Lyon in 1565 by Roman Catholic civil authorities and lived his final years in the lands of the kings of Navarre, where he was befriended by the staunchly Protestant queen of Navarre, Jeanne d'Auby, who made Vare the superintendent of the academy she had established at Ortez. He remained in this position until his death, age 60, in April 1571, and was buried at Nurac. The Queen wrote of Veret's death amongst the great losses I have suffered during and since the last wars I count the most grievous to be that of Monsieur Pierre Veray, whom God has now taken to himself. What he accomplished in these 60 years was staggering. He apparently never married but he was a man that was used by God in an amazing way in, the, in Switzerland. And his church is still there. It's got the wrong date on the front of it, according to Bernie. But uh, it's still there. If you go to Switzerland, you'll be able to see it. In the introduction to his book, Pierre Verre, A Forgotten Giant of the Reformation, The Apologetics, Ethics and Economics of the Bible... The author, Jean-Marc Bethode, includes a commendation from Thomas Ertel, the president of the Pierre Verret Association, who writes Pierre Verret was an extraordinary man and a model minister. He was a blend of gracious Christian character and remarkable theological insight and balance. His theology extended beyond the abstract and touched daily life. From the authority of Scripture to the role of magistrates, Veray made the study of God applicable to all of human existence. Now that last sentence is significant. The study of God is applicable and must be seen as applicable to every tenant of of our lives whatever we face whatever we go through if we don't see that God is involved in that then we are diverting the reality of who God is away I think I said a few weeks ago that we need to to think and ask ourselves questions like who am I what am I doing here what is God saying to me and you'll remember that the 17th century Puritans, their classic saying, if you're not prepared to die, you're not prepared to live. And these are, these are vital truths that we must group. In other words, I doubt that today we think as we should. Most of us don't think we zombie. Unless there is something in, in our church life that makes us think, unless we are taught to think, unless we are faced with the realities of what God has done and is doing, why think? It's, it's far easier to just zombie through things and not worry. Now, this is the last time I'm coming to you, so this is, this is why I'm, I'm speaking as I am. As I come towards the end of my life, it, it, it is vital. It's no good um, confessing, well, I've, I've wasted time here and I've wasted time there. We all have in some way. We've all been caught up in a variety of non-essential situations. But we must come to focus on who Christ is, what he is doing, why his Holy Spirit is with us to lead and guide us we are part of the church of Christ we are involved in that and therefore we all have responsibilities in our local church for what we do and what happens you don't get far to criticise it's not a matter of criticising it's not a matter of of doing anything but, but praying to pray that God will work according to his purposes not according to our purposes not according to our will but that we might know that he is speaking to his people. Now from that, <clears throat> I want to go on to a different section, and this comes from Bernie's book, and I'm very grateful for it. Following a brief biography of Veret, the author, Bethod, then includes five chapters on the scope of Veret's ministry. He talks about Verre as reformer. In 1537, he founded the first reformed academy in Lausanne and most of his time he taught theology to students who came from all over Europe. When expelled two years later, the academy had enrolled a thousand students. The whole staff then resigned and became the teaching genesis of the newly found Geneva Academy but his deep concern for the spiritual needs of the common people never led him as is all too common today to debase the content of his theological teaching now without me starting to preach again I've I've said that we're all theologians and that we all need to think, but we all need to come to understanding in our thinking of what we believe theologically, why we believe certain things theologically, what does the scripture say to us. And these aspects are vital, otherwise again we just drift along and there's no oomph, there's no understanding, there's no foundation in our Christian living. Secondly, Veret as an ethicist, ethicist. Volume 1 of Veret's instruction, and there's a misspelling here, it's Christian, include a treatise on the application of the Ten Commandments to every aspect of reality, an exposition of the law of God. Now when I came and saw that, I thought, boy, I, there's another sermon coming on to me. Because... We don't hear about the Ten Commandments, generally speaking. A lot of us may not be sure where they are. It's in Exodus chapter 20, if you want to check it out. But do we know the Ten Commandments? Have we been taught the Ten Commandments? Oh, well, that's Old Testament stuff. You don't worry about that. It's vital. And the Puritans, for example, often taught on the Ten Commandments because they knew that that was the foundation of what was going to come in the New Testament. So again, I'd encourage you some homework, read Exodus 20 and the truth of the Ten Commandments. Thirdly, Varey as an apologist. The main apologist of the Reformation is shown by his connection to the authority and significance of every aspect of God's written revelation and the way he thinks the teaching of the Bible he links the teaching of the Bible to creation, history and everyday life his position is presuppositionist that is the written word of God is the basic presupposition of all fruitful thought the scriptures are the basis of every way that we think, that we address issues, that we seek to understand what goes on. You can't... We all have opinions, that's true. But we often say to people, what do you think? In reality, it doesn't matter what you think. You've got to come back to what does the Bible say? And if, so, if some people get put off by that, Well, that's their problem. The basis of our thinking is not philosophy in itself. It is not education in itself. It is not what the newspapers say, God forbid. It is certainly not what the TV news says, even worse. But what is God saying? Is God out of touch in the 21st century? Has he gone on holidays? Or is he here? That's why we mentioned before, you, you don't have to ask God to be with you. He is with us. He never, never leaves us nor forsakes us. So Verre is emphasising these important truths in what he's saying. Fourthly, Verre is a common economist. His polemic, that's a great word, was against the Church of Rome and the social abuses they engendered plus their accumulation of wealth. But his polemic was also against inconsistent evangelicals. They even had them in that day. That is, Calvinists who regarded the Reformation as liberation from moral and legal constraints and therefore refused all submission to the social and economic disciplines implied by the law of God. Just as applicable today. He believed that the infernal cycle of economic injustice will breed revolution. How many revolutions have we seen in our own lifetime? The creature is cultivated and the creator ignored. In many ways, Vera's ethical thinking on social and political matters resembles that of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Remember him? It's good to go back and say, what did Solzhenitsyn believe in his battle against the godless people of his own day, which are still around today? Then Varey as philosopher, he believed that the true restoration of the Christian faith was reformation. Not a reform of deformed structures in church, state and society, but a return to the true form as expressed in the the infallible scriptures. The true or substantial model, the true or substantial form of the church and the Christian life is only found in the biblical model. People have been writing books for years on what the church should do. Just toss them out. The Bible is what we come back to. I can remember literature that came out at the end of the last century, uh, supposedly Christian literature, which says, can the church survive into the next century? How do we bring the church up to date? how do we modernise the church it's a load of rubbish, it's sinful it should never be tolerated the biblical model so to finish off this morning we have two quotes Veray writes for the faith of true believers is not founded on their particular opinions nor on the opinion of men or women but on the pure and explicit word of God. And on this, believers are established, not by opinion, but by certain faith, which is as different from mere opinion as the latter is from the sure knowledge of solid science. And as I've said, who cares about our opinions? Beth writes, He's the author of the book on Veret. From Veret's own writings, it must have become abundantly clear to the reader that Pierre Veret can, without hesitation, not only be considered one of the greatest and most ignored figures in the history of the Reformation, but also of the whole Christian church. So we pray as we conclude. Our Father we're not here this morning by accident to praise you we haven't just dribbled in uh, to be conveniently here you have brought us you have led us here it is your purpose that we're here in order that we meet with you your Holy Spirit is here to instruct and guide us in a moment we will finish and we will We will eventually go to our homes and a variety of places and all of that is part of your plan and purpose as well. But we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Father, that you have guided men and women down through the centuries in what we call the Old and the New Testament period and after that to today. You've directed us all the time by your word by your written word we confess that sometimes we ignore it we confess that our busyness sometimes leads us to hive off in different directions and therefore we must come back to the word we must read the word and memorize the word and understand the privilege that we have in your word we thank you that you speak to us very clearly You don't speak to us in foreign languages. You speak to us in what we can understand. You speak to our mind and our heart. You enable us to think. And so we bless and thank you for our time. We pray for one another this morning. None of us has all the answers. None of us can say that we have achieved anything. We continue to look to you. And we pray that as these Thursday mornings continue, that you will... Continue to speak very clearly to us that we may be truly men and women who grow and develop in the faith of Christ. We thank you in his name. Amen.